All right, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 5. For those of you who, uh, if you've been missing the last couple weeks and you've been trying to go to the podcast, uh, we've been having some issues with the recording device. And I tried, as you guys saw Wednesday night, to order a wireless mic. And I don't know if anybody listened to the podcast from this past Wednesday, but it sounded like I was speaking in a tunnel and I hated it. Go figure, that's what you get when you get uh, wireless technology, and especially technology that was made from a country which should go nameless. Uh, so in the weeks to come, I should have another recording device that will hopefully help get back to the quality that we once had. So bear with us, those of you listening online. Uh, today, we're moving on. We did a little mini-series called Guidelines While Dating, and I hope you guys have been seeing the natural progression and flow of this. We talked about waiting to date in this whole second half of the biblical relationship series, and then knowing when you're ready to date, and then knowing who not to date, before then looking at knowing who to date, and then we covered the last three weeks of guidelines while dating. And so the progression just naturally goes to what I call the next chapter here, chapter 13, something to work towards. Uh, As you guys can tell, because we're kind of just, you know, getting to the end of the dating realm, that this class and the series is starting to come to an end either next week or the week after. I'm not 100% sure yet. Uh, But again, kind of like the last couple weeks, today's lesson is, again, I wish that you guys were in this moment because, again, it would just help you guys to naturally know, okay, here's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So it's kind of hard for me to tell you, hey, remember this message five, six, seven, ten years from now. Hopefully not 10 years from now, but it might be 10 years from now when you guys are ready to be married. And that's why, uh, if you look at the introduction on here, the relationship between the husband and wife is of the utmost importance. As children, the husband and wife relationship was the very first relationship we were introduced to. Some of us have great examples to glean from, and others were not so fortunate. No matter where any of us fall, regardless of whatever examples we've been given, we can all say, thank God that His infallible Word has provided us with the blueprint of what a godly marriage should look like. That's why when it comes to anything, relationships or otherwise, it doesn't matter what experiences you've had. A lot of churches today, a lot of sects of Christianity, they want to make a big to-do about experience and about, well, here's what I've been through, here's what I've experienced, and you can't take my experience away from me. Well, the only problem I have with that is in 2 Peter chapter 1, you have Peter talking about a time when he heard the audible voice of God and then, and then saw the Lord, Jesus Christ, His Shekinah glory, the brightness coming forth from Him, and he saw it with his own eyes, he heard it with his own ears, had an incredible experience. And in the very same chapter, he says, even so we have a more sure word of prophecy. Any experience you have in life, we always have to come back to, okay, but what does the Bible say? And whenever it comes to whatever experiences or or upbringing you had as it pertains to biblical relationships, I get it. And some experiences suck more than others. I've been there. But that's why I'm thankful that in spite of what has happened, in spite of where maybe my upbringing was, God's Word stands true. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it doesn't change. So instead of looking at the past and saying that I'm doomed to repeat the mistakes of where I was raised and how I was brought up, we can have hope. And we can have hope as sure of an anchor 
if we just go what the Bible says and change our future and change what might be or what could be for us. Wherever you stand in the dating realm, whether you're in a relationship, not in a relationship, contemplating a relationship, the Bible has highlighted key responsibilities that serve as something to work towards, which is the title of today's message. So right out of the gate, uh, we're going to go through the biblical responsibilities of a husband and a wife. Because these are things that, again, while you may not be dating, understand this is something to be working towards. These are things that if you have a desire to be a husband one day, men, you need to be working towards these things. And ladies, if you desire to be a wife one day, these are things that you should be striving to work towards one day eventually. And as we're going to see here by the end, there's something in here for each and every single one of us to start doing right now. Right now. So even though this is more future out and more farther down, don't zone out. Because we're going to cover things that have to do with your walk right here, right now, today. So first things first, Ephesians 5.25. Oh, and by the way, uh, before I go any further on it, you know, as I've said before, this biblical relationships class, if any of you desire to maybe go into the Bible Institute one day, your notes that you've gathered in this class, you can submit as proof that you've been through this prerequisite. Because biblical relationships is a prerequisite for the Bible Institute. Your classes in high school count if you can produce the notes and show and demonstrate, I went through this. Because, man, these responsibilities are huge. Huge. Not only for just knowing how to deal with people, but for your own lives especially. I would say, take these responsibilities. Ephesians 5 is kind of the anchor passage that deal with the responsibilities of a husband and wife. Put them in your Bible all seven of them, and put the passages that go with them right next to it. But the first things first. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. First responsibility that you have, men, to, is to love his wife. And you might be thinking, got that down, easy. Easy peasy. Well, just remember that love isn't a feeling. We've talked about this before. Love is a choice. Love is a choice, especially when you don't feel like loving that person. Anybody here have to love their brothers or sisters? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask for hands. A little shocked at the hands that did go up, though. Sometimes. Not always. Yeah, sometimes you have to. I mean, it does come naturally because you're blood, but there are times where you don't feel like it. Same thing I could even say with moms and dads. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Let me just tell you, when you're living with somebody, I don't care if you fell in love. When you're living with somebody who is not your family, who is not your blood, and it's a member of the opposite sex in a marriage covenant, there are going to be times where you don't feel like loving them. That's why I'm so glad that the Bible says, as Christ. Because it gives you a comparison. Because the Bible says that everyone who has entered into a personal relationship with Christ, they're saved, they become part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. So the bride of Christ here, the church, that's you and me. And he's talking about as Christ also loved the church. And what did he do for it? Gave himself for it. You know how we're supposed to love our wives? 
men how you're supposed to love as Christ sacrificially and unconditionally gave himself for us. What does Galatians 2.20 say? Anyone have that memorized? I am crucified. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love how in verse 21 he says, I don't frustrate the, the grace of Christ. If righteousness cometh by works, then Christ died in vain. What was the point of Christ going to the cross if we could earn our own way to heaven? Something to consider if you've never entered into a relationship with Christ and if you're not genuinely saved. But Christ sacrificed himself for us. True love is sacrificial. When you're too tired, but yet you do it anyways. When you don't want to, don't feel like it, but yet you do it anyways. And it's unconditional. Christ didn't give himself for us because of all the great things we were going to do for him. Now, in fact, the Bible says very, very specifically, and we're going to see it in a little bit, we were his enemy at one point. Who on earth sacrifices themselves for their enemy? What a beautiful picture and comparison of sacrificial and unconditional love. That is a tough... You guys, see, that's the thing. You guys look at that and you're like, oh, of course, man, I'm just a loving person. I just, I have so much love for people in my life, for my friends, for my family. This will be a piece of cake. I'm telling you. There will be trying days. There will be trying times where you're not going to want to and not going to feel like it. That's where the true test comes in. When it becomes sacrificial and unconditional. Because keep in mind, you were once his enemy. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that, uh, that we are to cast our care upon him because he cares for us. Guys, one thing you're going to learn when you get married eventually is that you might just say, I love you every single day, but women need to know and feel loved. Just saying it isn't going to be enough. They need to know it. They need to feel it. They need to see it. That's going to take some work. Did I mention before in this class that marriage is work? It is. Second thing, uh, if you guys have bookmarks, we're going to flip back and forth between a couple of passages. Take your pen or take your finger, hold it here in Ephesians 5. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Second responsibility of a husband is to know his wife. Know everything about them. Study them. What are their likes? What are their dislikes? <laughs> and trust me, fellows, it changes. Not always going to stay the same. But you know what else? What are their insecurities? What are their fears? Look at verse 7. This verse is huge because it covers three of the responsibilities. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to what? Knowledge. You need to know her. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Man, I could do a message in and of itself just on this verse. Number th one, first things first. Notice how it says that she's the weaker vessel. Someone tell me, what does that imply? 
What's the implication there? It says weaker vessel. Heather? More fragile, but also understand, whenever you say something that something is weaker, means both parties are weak. Both are weak. We just have to understand that women are the more weaker vessel because of the emotional aspect of it. And that's something that you guys have girls' Bible studies for that very reason. I don't need to elaborate on it. But fellas, for you, I do need to elaborate on it, that you need to be considerate of those things. And I guess even on that note, even though we are talking about marriage responsibilities, these are things you can definitely implement to friends of the opposite sex, to your siblings or your mom and other women in your life, to consider these things and to be delicate and gentle and meek, that your prayers be not hindered. Man, it's one thing when God tells you to wait and that not going to answer your prayer just right now. Another thing, when he flat out says, I'm not going to answer your prayers at all because you're not fitting your, you're filling your responsibilities. Don't want that to happen to you, especially in a marriage. So we need to know, man needs to know his wife, sec, or the sub-point there, as Christ knows us and knows how to build up his church. See, all of these responsibilities that men have as husbands, it's because it's first exuded in Christ towards us as the church collective, guys and girls. He knows us. Matthew 6, 8. Oh, that's right, I got rid of that. Matthew 6, 8 says that uh, he, before we even ask it, he knows what we're going to pray to him. You realize that he knows the very hairs on your head. He knows everything about you, intimately, personally, every detail. Matthew 16, 18 says that he was going to build his church. He's going to build us up. And yet men seem to be very, very good at tearing things and people down. Got to be careful with that. Got to be careful with that. Now I remember, um, and as another point on this too, you guys can glean from this, but man, I'm telling you, when it comes to these responsibilities, and that's the reason why I titled it Something to Work Towards, when it comes to these responsibilities, it's just things that you're not going to fully know. You can know it. You're not going to fully know it till you live and experience these things. Because as much, and when you're dating, you can know your girlfriend or boyfriend very, very well. All these, these details about them. But when you're married, you need to go a step further and you need to be able to read the unspoken signs. Which may or may not be so easy at times, depending on how well you know them. For example, I remember uh, years ago, back before COVID, when I was working in the office at Simpkin Steel five days a week, I remember there were times where I would come home and Heather was just really, really just snippy and snappy towards Wyatt. It was before we had Ryder. And I remember like just coming home and I would start yelling at her like, you can't treat our son that way. And then it dawned on me, mostly because she would tell me because I wasn't thinking it. I'm not even considering the day she had. I know nothing of the context of what happened for the previous eight, previous eight hours that I was gone. I'm not knowing or considering the day she had. I'm not knowing that there's a reason why my normal 
normally, not normal, why my normally sweet and gentle wife is talking to our son very, very harshly and is just completely short-tempered. There's a reason for it. And it took me a few times of having those uncomfortable conversations where I realized, huh, something must have happened today. I need to consider this and give her the benefit of the doubt. These are things that just come with experience and time together. And that's why these are responsibilities of a husband, not a boyfriend. But it's something to work towards. Something for you to consider, especially with your peers, your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad. Point three. Third responsibility is that he is to dwell with her based upon how you know her. Look again at verse 7. He says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. So you see how point 2 and point 3 go hand in hand together. Dwell with her based upon how you know her. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference between knowing and, and dwelling based upon knowledge? Anybody want to take a crack at that? What they think that means? Why the two are connected? Knowing is knowing. It's knowing them. Dwelling according to knowledge is putting what you know about them into action. That's the difference. That's the difference. See, most guys, you know, you need to change up, uh, when they get married, they need to change up this line of thinking. Most guys think that, okay, when I get married, I'm going to keep living my bachelor-style life, and she's going to be okay with it. And conversely, the opposite side of that spectrum, and this is where you get so many jokes from the world that marriage is a prison, or marriage is, uh, well, yeah, just a prison. That's where you get the old phrase, oh, the old ball and chain. No, there needs to be balance here. You see, yeah, you still have guys' wing nights, but fellas, your life is different when you get married. It's way better. Point is, you need to be present. You need to be there. You need to be with them. I remember, too, uh, I have really two hobbies. Shooting guns and watching movies. I'm the most boring person you know. Those are the only two things I like to do. Amen. And I remember, like, when I was single, like, I'd get off of work, and I would go home, and, like, you know, my, you know, at night after hanging out with friends or whatever, go home, watch a movie. Well, when we got married, I remember, like, it was, like, probably, what, 9 o'clock at night. Heather's like, man, I'm tired. I'm going to head back to bed. All right, see you later. And I go out in the living room and just, like, put on the Avengers. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, watch the Avengers. And she's like... Well, I don't know. Can you watch that back in the bedroom? And I'm like, what's the difference? I'm like, let's just, you want to watch it? Watch it out here in the living room. I want the big screen. And again, it's not even dawning me in the idea that, like, look, she just wanted to be near me. She just wanted us to do things together. And I wasn't even considering that because I was so used to the way I lived my life as a single guy that, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to watch it on the TV I want to watch it on. And hey, when I'm done, I might even watch Avengers Age of Ultron, the sequel. Stay up till 1 in the morning. Oh, the 20s. And I didn't even realize, no. I'm with her now. She wants quality time. She didn't even care if we watched the movie. She just wanted to be near me. And those are things that you don't think about until, again, you're actually married. You need to dwell with them based upon how you know them. 
as Christ is with us through thick and thin. You realize the Bible says that Jesus Christ will never leave you nor forsake you? Never leave you. He's never going to go away from you. His Spirit is permanently placed inside of you if you're saved. He's never going to leave you. But forsake, people think that that means the same exact thing. No. It means that even when you're with Him, He's with you. He's there to help you get through whatever it is you're going through, whatever trial you're going through. Remember Daniel chapter 3? There is another in the fire. Man, I sound just like Lauren Daigle. There was a fourth one. Like under the... She doesn't? Oh, wow, just another Christian copycat. Okay. I can't stand Christian music. That's a topic for another day. I'd rather we just go back to old him. Never mind, okay. Fourth, the Son of Man. Son of God in the midst of the trial with them. He didn't leave them, but he also didn't forsake them. He helped them get through the trial. And you know what's interesting? I see a lot in marriages, and guys, you got to protect yourselves of this, that just because you're there in the house, you can still not be there. You may not leave them. You might be in the house. I've seen a lot of guys, they're there at the house, they're there at home, they're there at the baseball games, they're there at the soccer games, but they're not there. They're somewhere else. Either thinking about their job or thinking about something else or thinking about, man, I just want to get away, I just want to escape. That's not dwelling. Just because you're physically present doesn't mean you're actually there. Do you guys get what I'm saying with that? You guys ever have friends like that at school who you might be entrusting or being a confidant in and sharing what you're going through right now and they might be listening to you but maybe their eyes are like going somewhere else and they're, you could just tell that they're getting bored? It doesn't feel good to have a friend like that, does it? No. And it can't be that way with a person that you have locked shields with for the rest of your life. So if you are that type of friend, hey, this is something to work towards. Don't just be present. Be there. Dwell with that friend. Empathize with them. Put yourself in their shoes and try to imagine what it is that they've been through. Be that friend to them. Number four. Again, it says in verse seven, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. To honor his wife is the fourth one. It means a place a high value on. In other words, no one is like her. You guys know what the virtuous woman is compared to in Proverbs? Ladies, can anybody tell me? Who can find a virtuous woman? About Of what? Rubies. I did some interesting searches on rubies this week. You know what I found? A ruby is incredibly strong. They are red. They are red. Red as your hoodie, Alex. I didn't say that. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> I can throw my voice. <laughs> that was you? It was. Goodness, ventriloquist Andy. I figured. They are red. But they're also incredibly strong. In fact, a ruby is like the second hardest rock next to a diamond. But there was something else, and I had to think about this one, and you might have to also. It's authenticity. In other words, how authentic is the ruby? You know how a jeweler judges the authenticity of a ruby, whether it's fake or real or not? By how many imperfections it has. 
that blew me away. Normally with a rock or a gem, you want it to have the least amount of imperfections. But jewelers have actually said a sign of it being a fake is that it's flawless. It's perfect. You know what a ruby is? It's got flaws. It's got nicks. It's got cuts. That's how you know how authentic it is. So ladies, I'm not saying on date one, just splurge everything as far as all your nitty gritties and all the you know things you've been through and flaws and all that stuff, but be vulnerable. Because that's what Christ wants from us. He wants us to be open and vulnerable and to not seem like we have it all together on the outside. Because we don't. Men, that's where the challenge comes in to really honor that warts, nicks, and cuts and all, imperfections and all, that you value her through it all, above any and all of the imperfections. It's a challenge. But Christ did that for you. He places a high value upon us and He demonstrates His worth to us. 1 John 4.10, here in His love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. That's love. The husband seeking us as a bride and set His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfactory payment. Romans 5.10, as I mentioned earlier, for if when we were enemies, Nick's cuts imperfections, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. I love it. I love that God doesn't ask us men to do anything more than He's already done. But men, make note of it. There's a high calling that's placed upon you. Who here thinks they're ready to date? Things to consider. I'll never forget this comment that uh, Mike Blake made years ago. And this is one where I think you guys could Again, when you are dating, you can work towards this. Honoring her. Valuing her. But keep this in mind. And I'll never forget what Mike Blake said. Fella, she may be your girlfriend, but she's his bride. Don't you mess with the bride of Christ. You don't want that hammer coming down on you. Number five. 1 Timothy 5.8 says... But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, worse than a lost person. Yikes. Fifth responsibility is to provide for his wife. Yeah, physically, as far as finances, health, requests. Uh, that involves having a job that will support them, fellas. And insurance. A home. Life insurance in case you pass away first and early and unexpected. You want to make sure she's taken care of. Emotionally, you need to provide for her. Give her a peace of mind. Give her a peace of mind on all kinds of things that you're not looking at something or someone else. Guide her thoughts when she's emotional, when she's going through something. Provide the right thinking, the right form and the right path of mind for her. Lead her to solutions and also spiritually. Pray for her. Provide direction. Provide a ministry. What's the purpose of you guys getting together? How are you going to help fulfill and meet the mission 
of being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth with the disciples of God. Something to consider. As Christ has provided everything we need for life and godliness. That's what 2 Peter 1.3 says. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You guys have everything provided for you for life and godliness. The physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, all right here. He's given us freely all things. He holds nothing back from you. Man. Number six, 1 Corinthians 14.35. Oh boy, this is a toughie. And if they will... And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Okay, quick context, because we got a shotgun this one. We've talked about this on our Wednesday night podcast about two weeks ago. What's the context of 1 Corinthians? Is it a positive letter to a church that's doing everything that they need to be doing? No. No. In fact, you look at the context of this, verse 33 talks about that there was a lot of confusion going on in the church. People just speak. Imagine going to our main service, and instead of Pastor Tom speaking the message, everyone's just chiming in. I'm not saying amen. It's just chiming in, giving their thoughts. Imagine how much chaos and confusion that would cause. In verse 33 of chapter 14, God says, hey, God's not the author of confusion. And in verse 40 of that same chapter, he says, look, guys, when it comes to church... Everything needs to be done decently and in order. This is a verse talking about order and structure. That if there's any questions that come up in a church service, hey, can we talk about this when we go home? Yeah, sure. And then you talk about it there rather than disrupting the message and possibly hindering someone from getting saved. That's the context of this verse. Does that make sense? Everybody good on that? This isn't some kind of chauvinistic thing. But the responsibility is that a guy should be able to teach his wife in the sixth responsibility. Teach her the Bible, yes, but also teach her anything that she may not know. Teach her things for her well-being. Teach her things about cars, knowing how to change oil, change a tire, looking at tire tread, things like that. Tell her about places to go, places to not go. We as men need to be up to date on these things. We need to know these things to provide and to teach. Because Christ, in the subpoint, he also instructs us and provides a model for us to follow. Lastly, flip back to Ephesians 5. He is to protect his wife. Look at verse 20 or sorry, verse 33. Nope, 23. Even for, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. When I think about head, I think about a, a military line. A procession. General always goes out in first. The leader's always in front, and the troops are behind him. He's the head. And guys, take note, there's a fine line between protecting and controlling. I don't care. Yes, I get it. When you get married, a wife shall leave her father and mother and cleave unto you, but understand you're not her dad. Don't try to be controlling. Don't try to be overprotective. A lot of guys do that in marriages. It doesn't go well for them. Fine line between protecting and controlling. You might have to protect. And you know what? This is also another one I would say you could work towards this while dating. You might have to protect who she hangs out with. 
maybe she's with some friends that are giving her a lot of bad advice and it's causing her to do things or think things that aren't biblical. You might need to protect her from that and give her sound advice on that. Man, that's huge. Just as Christ defends us daily and leads us gently as a good shepherd. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. That word means defense attorney. He defends us when Satan goes before the throne and accuses you daily. Did you see what they thought about this week? Did you see what they said or what they didn't say this week? They're called to be witnesses for you and they didn't share their faith once this week? And you're still protecting them? You're still defending them? The Bible says every single day, Satan is, Satan is the, accusing, the accuser of the brethren. Every day accusing you of the things you don't do. Oh, I wish we had time to check out John chapter 10. Once again, I blame Andy for that one. But John chapter 10 talks about Christ as the good shepherd. Check that out. It's incredible. You, will, you might know that passage, but I'm telling you, in light of this context, check out John chapter 10 again. And look at it from the context of how a husband protects his wife and how you should. And ladies, you can check that passage out and see that's what I should be looking for in a man. All right. Now we move on to the biblical responsibilities of a wife. I think we can do it. All right. Point number one. She is to submit to her husband. Don't shoot me. Not my words. Take it up with the Bible. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Why does he say that? Because simply put, there can't be two leaders. There cannot be two leaders. And remember, things need to have order and structure. The family unit is no different. You know, those of you girls who are used to being independent, which... I'll say this, to a certain degree, being independent is a very good thing. Meaning that you're able to take care of yourself, you're able to, you know, you don't need somebody else to, to help you through things. And for those of you who do, nothing wrong with that either. But for those of you who are independent, this is going to be very, it might, it might be very hard and difficult to get used to once you do get married. Especially if you end up being single for a little bit lengthier part of time into your 20s. It might be hard to give up certain levels of control in order to submit. So it might be tough. But you have to understand that I don't have any more markers. I'm just going to write something on the board. Actually, maybe I do. Most of you listening right now, the TV just shut off. Oh, yay, it's still there. All right. You think about an umbrella. <laughs> I, I didn't plan on doing this. That's my umbrella. There we go. You want the umbrella of protection, right? Because when, when we are walking with God, we want to be protected. The Bible says in Job that there's a hedge of protection around him. Well, if there's the storms of rain, or the rain... Storms of trials, right? What am I trying to say? And this is why we're going to go to 1015 today. This is not a Rorschach drawing, Andy. Protective hedge from all the storms. You know what's interesting? Up top, you have the Father, God the Father. 
You know what the Bible actually says, specifically in John chapter 17? That the Son submits to the Father's will. Christ said, I don't speak anything unless the Father tells me what to speak. And in John 16, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to send my Spirit, and He's going to do everything that I tell Him to do. So even when it comes to the Trinity, there's submission and there's order and structure. And for us, as men, husbands are to be the head, like Christ is the head of the church. And the husband submits to the Spirit's leading that's working inside of him. And it just continues to flow downwards to the wife and the children. This is how you're protected from the storms and the trials of life. This is the protective covering that God has outlined in his word. And we have the very Trinity as a model for this level of submission. Again, for order and structure's sake, for safety's sake. This is huge. We are to submit to our, uh, she is to submit to her husband as the church does to Christ. Colossians 3.18. This is also a, a beautiful verse because there's a lot of churches that try to take this whole submission thing and they twist it and they do create something that's chauvinistic. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. You realize there are churches that say, wives, submit to every husband? That's how inferior you are? No, the Bible says to your own husband. Not another husband, your own husband. And it also says, as it is fit in the Lord. Hey, is what, he, is what he's asking you to do fit? Submit. If what he's asking you to do is not fit in the Lord, nope. He's the one at fault. Second thing, second responsibility. And fellows, I hope you're not tuning out too because in a second here I'm going to tell you why you should be paying attention to these ones. Titus, that's not Titus. Titus 2.4. Uh, you guys can check it out later. Titus 2.4 talks about that the aged women are to, uh, or she is to love her husband so that she can teach the younger women how to love her husband. So responsibility number two is to love her husband. Wife is to know him. She's to know how God made him to be so that she can be a better support to him and to know how to work through conflicts together. All of this is so that you can disciple future Timothys how to do the exact same thing. That's the reason why. And she is to love her husband as the church is to love God and know what he desires from us. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Guys, I hope you don't look at VBS as a, I have to do this. I hope you don't look at your time serving the kids ministry as, oh, it's my week that I have to serve. The commandments of God should not be grievous to you. It shouldn't be in all, man. Anything God asks you to do, it should be desirous because you're doing it out of love, because the church loves God because of the great love he's loved us with. And we want to give back to him. So she's to submit to her husband. She's to love her husband. Point three, she is to reverence her husband. This is also kind of a toughie. Verse 33, nevertheless, chapter 5, Ephesians, verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence him. And keep in mind the specific wording I'm using here. 
she's to treat him as Christ. He isn't Christ, but she reveres him as she would Christ. There's safety in that. You guys know why? Because everything falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Ladies, there's safety in this for you. I remember a story that Courtney Boffman told me years ago, and it helped me out to understand this point greatly, and I hope it does you. She had talked about, man, you know what? I'm called to follow my husband. And if he thinks we should go this path, and I don't think so, I think it's not the right path, that God's actually leading us this way, I'm called to follow him. You know why? Because it's what the Bible says, but get this. If God actually did want them to not go this path, but to go this path, I'm safe because I'm fulfilling my responsibility to reverence and follow him. If this was not the path we were supposed to go as a family or in ministry or whatever, that's on him. Bible says that. So ladies, there's safety in that for you. And it's as the church has esteemed Christ more important than anything or anyone else. John 21, 15, after Peter, man, messed up. And Christ himself comes to him. He says, when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Joseph, or Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Is Christ more important than you than anything else? Does everything else come second to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's how you know. And the last one, she is to help her husband. Genesis 2.18, we've talked about it. She is to help him meet, help meet, what Eve was called. She is to help him meet the goals of the mission. The Lord is working through him to accomplish something. Ladies, you need to know what it is. Don't assume you know what it is in order to help him see it through, just as the Christ is to let as the church is to let Christ lead the way in all matters of faith. Listen to 2 Peter 3.11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You ought to be holy because He's holy. You ought to let Him help you, and you need to help Him by being willing and submitting to whatever Christ wants to do in your life to make you look more like him, church. Now, fellas, there's a reason why I told you to be paying attention to these four points as well. On the concluding paragraph here, all of us that are saved, we are the bride of Christ, which means that all of us should be demonstrating these last four responsibilities unto our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, consistently. Did you guys catch that? You're the church. So if these are four responsibilities, are the responsibilities of a wife to a husband, then fellas, they're also what God expects of you. Now how does that work out to you guys? Ladies, do you want to know whether he'll fulfill his seven responsibilities to you? Monitor how good of a wife he is to the Lord now. That'll give you a clear-cut sign whether or not he's even worth your time of day or not. 
Fellas, do you want to know whether she'll fulfill her responsibilities to you? It's simple. You'll always be in second place. You find a girl where she is just sold out for the Lord and nothing gets in the way of that, she's a keeper. Again, guys, I'm going to say this again. These are responsibilities for marriage. Responsibilities of a husband and a wife, not now. Fellas, don't you dare. Don't ever let me ever hear the phrase, when you're dating somebody, she's not submitting to me and I rebuked her for it because then I will lay hands on you in a Nehemiah 13 fashion. These are responsibilities for a husband and a wife. Not now. You can start working towards some of these things in ways that are beyond a relationship. Do you remember what I said at the very get-go? What After we did week one, what relationships did we start looking at? Hmm? Siblings? Parents? Friends? You guys realize you can monitor and exude these responsibilities to all of them? Because like I told you guys when we were covering that, based upon how your relationships are with your parents and your friends and your siblings, it's going to give some indication as to what kind of a person you're going to be when you're dating and what kind of a person you're going to be when you're married, which is something else you can monitor in the member of the opposite sex. How well are they doing with that?